Hello there, new community. You know, I'm usually that guy who sits in the back. Now that I'm up here, though, and I see your faces, we, we are a beautiful church. <laughs> yeah, especially Sven over there, except for Sven. Uh, you have to forgive the rough texture of my voice. I'm in the process of battling a cold. So if I cough into the microphone or clear my throat or my nose starts bleeding or I vomit or I pass out or something, just pretend like nothing's happening and just sit there and just think profound thoughts. <laughs> that would be greatly appreciated. Nevertheless, I'm very excited today, and you should be excited as well, because today we begin a new series. Today we begin a series called The Gospel. And the gospel is one of those words here at New Community that we really like to throw around. And we do. We throw it around a lot, and we should, because the gospel is central to everything in the Christian life. The problem is sometimes we throw it around without exactly knowing what the gospel is, without exactly knowing how the gospel relates to each aspect of the Christian life. The gospel is the good news that through Christ, the power of God's kingdom has entered history to renew the whole world. When we believe and rely on Jesus' work and record for our relationship to God, that kingdom power comes upon us and begins to work through us. It is the kingdom power. It is the love of God through Christ Jesus that does the work in us. And so we're going to explore this concept of the gospel and how it relates to various aspects of the Christian life. We're going to examine how the gospel relates to service. What's the relationship between the gospel and social justice? How does the gospel relate to our identity as Christ followers? What does the gospel have to say about our obedience to God. But today, we shall examine the relationship between the gospel and law. What is the difference between gospel and legalism? Legalism, to put it simply, is a love of the law divorced from relationship. When we worship the law and we base our acceptance, our blessing, our salvation on what we do, we are being legalistic. Legalism is a false gospel. When we love law, it stands in direct contradiction to the law of love the gospel. And I'm not merely talking about two different competing systems of belief. 
I'm talking about two different mindsets that are fighting for control of your mind, that are fighting for control of the way that you think and interpret the world around us and your relationship with others and your relationship with God. Legalism is one of those things that, for us, I imagine, is very easy to criticize. But it's something that's very hard to see in our own lives. It's very easy to say, oh, I understand. I didn't earn my salvation. It's not by my works that I'm justified. And yet, when we look at how we live the gospel out, when we look at our day-to-day lives, we live as though God's acceptance of us is not sufficient. And we live as though, yes, maybe we didn't work when, when that event, that moment happened in my life when I first started following Jesus. You know, my works weren't involved at all. But when we, the process of, of salvation, when the ongoing sanctification, the, the continuous work of the Holy Spirit in making us holy. Don't, isn't it the case that we have to mix our, a little of our works in with that? This is legalism. The greatest obstacle we face when it comes to walking into the full immersion of the love of God is living our life with a legalistic mindset. I feel that I have been appointed today to proclaim to you that as a follower of Jesus Christ, We live our lives no longer under the law. We live our lives by the Spirit. And I am appointed today to ask God to once again immerse us in His love. Maybe for some of us for the first time. Maybe for some of us just being immersed in His love again a fresh baptism of God's love that contradicts any sort of legalistic mindset we might harbor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you first and foremost for the greatest act of love that you have demonstrated towards us in the person of Jesus Christ. Father, we recognize that Christ's work on the cross is a finished work and that it is sufficient not only for our salvation, but for the continual process of becoming more Christ-like, of living the Christian life, of becoming holy. We recognize that work on the cross as complete. And Father, do not allow us to add any sort of effort or works of our own to that work of Christ. Father, I ask that you would immerse us in your love.
that you would open our eyes, that we would not just come into a better understanding of what your love is, but that we would have a deeper and deeper experience of it today, even in this moment. Father, bring your love to us so that your love may cast out fear. And let us live our lives set free, spiritually free people, out from under the bondage of legalism, I ask this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Turn your Bibles to Matthew, the 22nd chapter. What we're going to do today is I want to take a look at how does Jesus think about the law. First, I want to look. He gives a very theological answer. And then I want to look at how he tells a story that changes the way that we think about the law. After we do that, we're going to examine how when we give ourselves over to legalistic thinking, it creates a bondage over us. And then we're going to examine how the Holy Spirit works in us to free us from that bondage. And so we have Matthew chapter 22, where an expert in the law is approaching Jesus, an expert in the law who is a part of the most strictest of sex, the most strictest of law followers, the Pharisees, and he asked Jesus a question. Verse 34, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, teacher, Which is the greatest commandment in the law? This is actually a very common debate in the first century. There's about 613 laws in the Hebrew Bible of your Bible. And so the Pharisees were were well known for trying to uh, categorize these 613 laws, higher laws, lower laws, which ones are more important than others. And so they, they tried to develop this very religious system that would help categorize everything. Okay. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. We have an expert in the law. And this expert in the law, it tells us it comes to test Jesus. Matthew is very clever. He uses that same word, test, when he's describing Satan testing Jesus in the wilderness. The same exact word. And so we know that this expert in the law is not coming to Jesus and asking questions in order that he may gain a higher understanding of the nature of law. He's not asking Jesus this question so that he can discern the true nature of law and grace. He's not seeking a better knowledge of who Jesus is claiming to be. He's testing him. He's trying to trap him. The expert in the law is trying to catch Jesus an illegal error. Jesus changes the way we think about law with his answer. Love. Ultimately, 
when we love others and we love God in the same way that God has demonstrated his love towards us, we have fulfilled the entire law. The root of most of our failures when it comes to living out the Christian life is the failure to recognize how much God loves us. The root of most of our rebellion against God is when we harbor a sense and a belief that we are somehow unblessed. That God is holding something back. That our acceptance in Him is somehow insufficient. That we must go and do something in order to bring about completion. And so when we have this belief that we are an unblessed people, that we are not completely accepted, that we are not completely loved by God, we, have, we, we as humans usually have two responses. The first response is very simple. The first response is simple rebellion. I am unloved, fine. I don't need love. I'm going to do, I'm going to act how I want to act. I don't need the approval of some imaginary being who's trying to tell me what to do. Rebellion is a simple, utter rejection of any sort of obedience towards God. And the gospel counteracts this. And I have a peculiar-looking bearded friend who next week is going to talk about the relationship between the gospel and obedience and how the gospel encourages obedience. But I want you to think about the second type of response we have when we harbor a belief that we are somehow unblessed. We either answer with rebellion or we respond with religion. We respond with a system of man-made codes and laws that we have to follow in order to earn the blessing, earn the love of a father. And so religion says, I'm unblessed, I will earn my blessing. You do not accept me, I will do everything in my power to deserve acceptance. I will create a system of oaths and I will make a vow to follow a code and I will follow this code and then you will be obligated to accept me. This is love of law. This is legalism. Jesus tells a story that demonstrates both of these responses. It's a story of two sons. A younger son asks his father to give him his inheritance, and he takes his father's inheritance and he spends it, and he lives his life lavishly, doing whatever he pleases. And when he ends up eating out of a pigsty, he realizes, the servants at my father's place had it better than this. And he goes back to his father. But then there's an older son. And the older son, watching his father welcome back 
the lost child, killing a fattened calf and throwing a feast for it. This is how Jesus tells the story. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Rebellion is the younger brother that takes what he believes is rightfully his and uses it for his own purposes. Religion Religion stems from the exact same sense of unblessedness. The level of acceptance by my father is not good enough. Therefore, I will take what I believe is mine and go spend it, and I will find the good life, says the younger brother. The level of acceptance by my father is not good enough. Therefore, I will follow every single order I will never disobey. I will break absolutely no laws. And then he will be obligated to accept me. Pay attention to this. Uh, Using religion, using legalism as a response to your sense of not being blessed, to your sense of not being fully loved by God, is just as spiritually poisonous as utter rebellion against him. Where does this happen in your own life? It's not just rebellion that leads to self-absorption. This is my money. I'm going to spend it how I want. Notice the story. What happens to the older brother? Both rebellion and religion, both are rooted in self-absorption. I will follow the rules. If anything is given to me, it will be because I deserve it. It is an utter rejection of the grace of God. It is an utter contradiction of the gospel. We see it all the time happening in growing up. It's just <coughs> As a little boy on the playground... I remember one of my friends, they hurt my feelings. I I get wounded. I feel rejected. What am I going to do? I'm either going to go by myself into my own corner and say, that didn't hurt. He's not even my friend. I don't even do what he wants to do. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. It's either that or we go, 
He doesn't accept me. He hurt me. I'm going to do everything it takes for people not to see my flaws. And I'm going to act in such a way that people have to accept me. And legalism gets infected into your mind. And it becomes the mental framework through which you interpret reality itself. Every single relationship you have with another person, the relationship that you have with God, the way that people interact with the world, everything is seen through this legalistic lens. And it's because you have constructed this system of religious codes inside yourself that you say, I have to follow this because this is who I am. And this is what makes me worthy. And this is what gives me value. And the attitude of legalism makes you a slave. It has completely captured your mind. Why do we as humans love the law so much? We love law. Law doesn't even work. We try to use the law to make ourselves righteous. Paul says that the, the, the law is impotent when we try to use it to make us righteous. As a matter of fact, Paul says the law incites sin. When the law increases, trespass increases. One of my uh, mentors, Dudley Hall, he uses this illustration a lot. And so it's hard to forget it. But when his son was five years old, he decided to throw a birthday party for his, for his little boy. And so I don't know why he does this. If you know Dudley, he probably just did it for his own amusement. But he gathered all the boys around. And he said, all right, guys. He, he lives in Texas, by the way. So there's a huge open yard. He's like, boys, I want you to go into that yard. And you're going to have the best time in your life. I want you to play and have fun, and enjoy each other. And this is going to be the best birthday party you've ever been to. But one thing, just don't spit in that garden. <coughs> I mean, Dudley, Dudley could care less whether or not the boys spit in the garden or not. But a funny thing happened. Before the birthday party was over, Dudley would watch the garden. And I suppose when you're in a company of five-year-olds, you have to do something to sort of have a little fun. And so he would watch, he would watch one of the boys sort of, sort of walk just a little closer to the garden. He'd sort of look around. Oh, then he'd walk away. But in all honesty, it wasn't too long before every single boy had spit in the garden. Every, it's, every single boy had done an action that would have never had crossed their mind to do without the deliverance of a law. When the law is put in place, our sin is revealed. When the law increases, our sin increases with it. We become sin consciousness. This is why the law, I mean, the law, the law is such a blessing. 
Well, without it, where would we, we, would be, we, we would be loster than lost without the law. We would not even be aware of the sin that we commit. See, that's the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law is not to make us righteous. Paul says that the purpose of the law is to point to the one who will make us righteous. The purpose of the law isn't to make us feel accepted. The purpose of the law is to point to the one in whom we will be accepted by God. The law, the writer of Hebrews says, is merely a shadow of the things to come. The law is a shadow, not the reality. And so when we use the law for purposes other than it was meant to be used, we're chasing after an illusion. We're dedicating our lives to a false gospel. It would be like if I were pursuing a young lady that I was interested in marrying, and I went out and bought a dozen roses, and I, and I walked right past her, and I went up to her shadow, and I started giving the roses to the little shadow. And then I tried to take the shadow and take the shadow out to watch a movie with. And after the movie, Mabel will grab dinner. Shadow, I'll have you home before dark. And the absurdity of it all. As absurd as it is, this is what we do. It's what we do when we try to use the law and a system of oaths and religious codes to make ourselves feel accepted by God. So if the law doesn't work, why do we love it so much? Because we as humans love law. We love it a lot. And the reason we love the law so much is because the illusion is one of control. When we follow the law and when we give ourselves over to a legalistic mindset, it makes us believe that we are in control. Look at the older son. I do this and this and this, therefore, you are obligated to do this. Isn't this the way that we treat God sometimes? I read my Bible every day. I pray every day. I go to church every week. Why am I so unblessed? Bless me. Accept me. Look at the things that I do for you. There's a story of a, um, <coughs> of a young carpenter, and this carpenter was uh, building his first house. And so he's up on the roof, and he's doing some sort of roof repairs. And unfortunately, his, he, he just sort of lost his foothold, and his feet slip out from under. He begins sliding towards the edge, towards a 20-foot fall and imminent death. And it's one of those moments that happens, just everything is just happening in slow motion. And so as, as, the, as, the, as the young man begins to slip and fall down the roof, he just cries out, God, save me. Don't let me fall off of this roof. 
well, he keeps sliding, and he tumbles down a little further. And so he just gets a little more desperate. He says, God, please save me. I'll read my Bible every day. I'll go to church every week. Please do not let me fall. And the young man continues to slide, his pleas seemingly not being answered. And he tumbles even closer to the edge, and he gets even more desperate. And in his desperation, he cries out, God, please. God, I'll wake up early. I'll pray three hours a day. Please, God, save me. I'll volunteer at the warming center. Please just don't let me fall off this roof. And ultimately, he got to the very edge of the roof. And at the height of his desperation, he cries out to God, Father, do not let me die. I will quit my job and move to Africa and be a missionary. Please do not let me die. Father, I will liquidate all of my assets. I will give all my money to the poor. Save me. Let me live another day. And right before he fell off the edge of the roof, all this is happening in slow motion, mind you. Right before he fell off the edge of the roof, there happened to just be a nail that was sticking slightly up out of the roof, and it snagged him right on his pants, and it stopped his fall. And the young man, he just bowed his head in reverence. But slowly, he looked up. He looked up to the sky, and solemnly he said, Father, thank you for listening to me. But don't worry about any of that other stuff. This nail saved me instead. Isn't this the way that we treat God sometimes? The fact that we engage God in oaths and swearing that we're going to follow some code, doesn't that reveal that we have a deeply rooted misunderstanding of who God is? Are we so arrogant to think that by our actions, by our performance, we can manipulate God? We can use our good deeds as a bargaining chip against the creator of the universe. Legalism gives us the illusion of control. It lies to us about who God is. Legalism diminishes the intimacy and the richness of true relationships, diminishes them down to a cold and impersonal list of rules. We do this all the time. What? Just tell me. Eight rules I can follow to be a better husband. Tell me. Rule one, rule two. Some of the wives in here are just like, it's going to take a lot more than eight. <laughs> but this is the way we think. You know, to be a better husband, understand your identity in Christ. 
and what it means to be a man of God. And just immerse yourself in the love that Christ demonstrates for his bride, the church, and be a better husband. Rule number one, wash the dishes after dinner. Rule number two, take out the trash once a week. Rule number three, don't watch too much football on Monday nights. We think that this series of following obligations is equivalent to the richness of a relationship with a spouse. And so, if we recognize this, this is completely and utterly false, why is it that we do the same with our Heavenly Father? We live out of this sense of obligation because we believe that we can control ourselves. I must change in order to be accepted, or we believe that we can control God. I will act in such a way that he will be obligated to act in this way. If I perform well, you will accept me. If I be nice, you will love me. If I do good, people will give me things and bless me. Follow the rules and the parents appreciate me. Study hard and get the good grade. Do well on the project and get the promotion. We live in a world that many times is ruled by legalism. When we take those things and divorce them from love and divorce them from a true relationship. God will not be controlled by our petty attempts at legalism. God is not up in heaven thinking, look at Blake Oakley praying every single day, a little extra helping a blessing for him. God is not up in heaven saying, "Uh uh-oh, Blake wasn't nice to that person at work today. I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to withhold a little bit of my love today from you. These are lies. The way that legalism captures our minds and puts us in captivity is that it replaces the truth of the gospel with lies. I want to share with you three lies that legalism tells us. I hope they're, they're challenging to you. Lie number one, God, ble- or, uh, God loves me less when I sin. That is a lie. Paul in Romans tells us that the fullest extent of God's love was poured out over us while we were still sinners. And that love was total and complete. Oh, you hurt somebody. You made someone, and God's going to love you. No. God does not love you less when you sin. God loves you the same as today as he did yesterday, as he will tomorrow. Lie number two. God, are you ready for this? Lie number two. God punishes me when I sin. Legalistic mindset that lies to us. If God punishes you when, you're, when you sin, then Jesus failed. If God punishes you when you sin, that means that there was just a little tiny bit of judgment, a little tiny bit of God's wrath that Jesus didn't take on himself. And that was reserved especially for you when you messed up. 
Now, obviously, when we sin, there are going to be natural consequences to our actions. But God is not up in heaven throwing thunderbolts of, of punishment against you when you sin because Christ took them all on himself. Lie number three. God blesses me when I don't sin. This is a lie. God blesses us, but God's blessing is not related in any way to our effort to earn it or deserve it. As a matter of fact, Paul in Ephesians says that you have been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus our Lord. All of these lies are rooted in a foundational lie that says that our value in the eyes of God depends upon our performance. Well, your value in the eyes of God is not based upon your performance and your day-to-day life and your ongoing struggle to live the Christian life and your endeavor to live with a Christ-like attitude to be holy. Your performance in that does not determine your value. It is because we are so valued that we perform and that we obey. And our pathetic attempts to control others and to control God and to control ourselves with legalism does absolutely nothing but leave us controlled by the spirit of law, a spirit of religion, legalism itself that has infected our mind and utterly changes the way that we view the world. We are put in bondage by legalistic thinking because it is fear that fuels legalism. Wherever there's a law, there's always the possibility of breaking that law. Where there is a broken law, there is punishment. Where there is punishment, there is fear. And if we live our lives where fear has replaced faith as the motivational force of everything that we do, we've bought into the scheme of hell. There's two types of laws that we put ourselves under. The first are just laws that we create for ourselves. Maybe they come from culture. Maybe they come from our family. Maybe they just come from our own minds. I must act in this way. I must follow this code in order that others accept me, in order to be approved before God. They're just laws we just make up. In Christ, you have the authority to expose that lie and to revoke that law. And it's something that you can do today. The second type of law that we put ourselves under is the holy law, the biblical law. Paul has already demonstrated to us that the purpose of the law, the Torah, was to make us conscious of our sin. And Christ comes along and he reveals to us when he is asked by the expert in the law, what's the greatest commandment? Love. Loving God and loving others 
with the exact same love that God has demonstrated towards us, a perfect and complete and unfettered love. That's the fulfillment of all the law. And so we're left in a bit of trouble, aren't we? Because I don't love people that way. God's love is not the same as man's love. I don't love God that way. But what if there were a man? What if there were a man who embodied the love of God and lived a life on earth that so perfectly demonstrated God's love for us to the extent that he would die on a cross? The reality is, it's the love that God has demonstrated towards us through the person of Jesus Christ that has fulfilled the law. You are no longer under the law if you are a follower of Christ today. Christ has fulfilled every single law. Christ is the realization of every single promise. No longer do we have to make an oath. No longer do we have to make petty attempts to manipulate God. No longer are we under the curse of the law. Instead, Christ puts the Holy Spirit, His Spirit of love, inside of us. And no longer are we under law. All of a sudden, we become guided by the Spirit. Let go. Let go of the dead religious codes and embrace the person and the work, the relationship that you have with the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you. Legalism became a a bit of a problem for the Galatians. And Paul wasn't very happy about it. This is what he says. You foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? By the way, what they heard was the gospel. Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? You're trying to start with the Spirit, but finish with the flesh. Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? He goes on. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written... Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. He concludes, before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ 
that we might be justified by faith. Now, faith, now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. The expert in the law challenges Jesus. What is the greatest commandment? How are we to think about this law? And Jesus makes a simple answer, love. If legalism is fueled by fear, it is defeated by love because perfect love casts out fear. God's love is not the same as man's love. Man's love is conditional. Man's love is always attracted by something. It's always awakened by something, some sort of quality in the beloved thing. It's, it's something that has to be caused. With God's love, it is not so. God's love is unconditional. We cannot earn it. We do not deserve it. God's love is spontaneous. It is free. It is intimate. It is uncaused. There is nothing about us that could possibly attract God's love towards us. It is simply something that He lavishly pours out over us. Just let God love you. Heavenly Father, I rebuke today the spirit of legalism I rebuke today the love of law. Father, just as Jesus spent so much of His earthly time exposing the legalistic, religious teachers of His day, I pray that You would empower us to expose the legalistic mindsets that we use to live our lives. Father, I pray for a fresh outpouring of your love today. Father, immerse us in your spirit of love. Maybe for the first time. Maybe once again. Father, I ask that you would speak to those who have chosen rebellion. Yell out to them across the chasm. I love you. Father, speak to those who have only known your love through the thick veil of religion. Tear through the veil and speak to them. I love you. Father, speak to those today who have been walking with you intimately but are still struggling and are still overcoming. Lean over and whisper in their ear, I love you. Sometimes there's just this spirit of victory in the air. And I just feel an authority welling up inside of me. Just to speak the love of God over you.
Let's say our benediction together. Come, O Holy Spirit, come as holy fire in us. Come as holy wind and cleanse us within. Come as holy light and lead us in the darkness. Come as holy truth and dispel our ignorance. Come as holy power and enable our weakness. Come as holy life and dwell in us. Convict us, convert us, consecrate us until we are set free from the service of ourselves to be your servants to the world. Amen. And amen.